You are listening to the Uncanceled Podcast. We believe that Jesus came to set you free and nothing can cancel the truth of God's word. Now here's your host, the youth pastor of Impact Youth at Faith Church in New Milford, Connecticut, Pastor Joey Santora. What is going on Uncanceled? How are you guys doing? Thank you so much for tuning in. We got a bunch of wanners up here on this podcast today. What's a wanner, Ben? You're, you'll find out. You'll soon find enough. out. But, but you're just you know, a wanner. Yeah, if you're watching this, you're a wanner. You're a wanner for Congratulations. watching this, man. Woof, woof for you. Yeah. Um, Points. Man, we missed last week, but we yeah. missed last week for a good cause. Um, last week was uh, was uh, Oreo Awareness Day. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> last week was last week was uh, a football game for one of our students. So I was like, you know what? I was like, I'm gonna go check that out and uh, support one of our students. But we're back. We're back, and 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 we're here again this week. And um, well, it is time too. Let's do it. Rate, Rate that Oreo. Oreo. Come on Come now. On. Here we go. There All we right, are. Well, what you got, Ben? Oh, just like us. It's back. Oh, red velvet. Oh, oh, what? It's back. I don't know where it went, but it must be a limited time thing. So, red velvet Oreos. It's back. It's back. It's here again. Let's do it. Uh, why, why don't you like tell us a little bit about them? I don't know much about red. Well, okay. Uh, so it is. Uh, it's a red velvet cookie with cream cheese frosting. There you go. Like that was the part that I was looking okay. for, for you yeah. to, to I, hit on. I, because no, I should have said that. Hey. It, it, I, I, I just had to, you know, make sure that our, our fans were clear about what was transpiring here on the Isn't podcast um, today. Hmm. Hmm. All right, we're good. <laughs> Isn't red velvet chocolate? All right, here's my thing. You remember Mr. Dojcik? Yeah. Shout out if you're watching. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. That'd be something. <laughs> that would be something. That'd be something. Hey Doichek. Hey Doichek. Uh, but uh, Mr. Doichek, he was our he was our uh, uh, math teacher in high school, and uh, we had some good times in Mr. Doichek's class. Certainly. Uh, and Mr. Doichek got in a fight with. Uh, well, let's just put it this way: if people know, they know. <laughs> with your brother's ex girlfriend in my cl- in class, um, and. Uh, w- uh, uh, th- th- I was in the class and they got in this big fight, right? And she was all like talking about how she was going to make a red velvet cake. And he was like, you do realize that's just chocolate cake with red food dye, right? That's and she like went off and he went off and there was like a big heated debate. She she was saying that it had vanilla in it as well, which may be true. I'm not really sure, but like, I'm, I have no idea. But like, to be honest with you, can anyone really taste the difference between b- between chocolate cake and red velvet cake other than the frosting? No. You can the just frosting. see it. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a cream cheese frosting. Right. Um, how about it? All right. Let's open this bad boy up. I left everything. <laughs> Sneaky one today. Uh, let me do a quick Google so that we know for sure. Oh, shoot. This is important. Go ahead. Oh. I'm going to give it a little sniff. Well, that's not right. It smells like cocoa. It it smells... Like a chocolate yeah, Oreo. Yeah, like a, like a regular chocolate Oreo. Um, Tell us. Red velvet cake is made by combining cocoa powder, butter... butter Sugar, <laughs> butter, sugar, eggs, and flour, as well as buttermilk, vinegar, and red food coloring. So sounds like a chocolate cake to me, folks. Yeah. So right. basically, the only difference is that this has cream cheese frosting. Yep. That's but it's red, here. and that's cool. That's the difference. It's red. Yeah, it probably has red forty in it, which is just like an awful food dye. But you know, whatever. All right, let's get in on this. You know what? It's more of a maroon. That gets points from me. I agree. It looks appealing. It does. It looks appealing, but it definitely looks like they just took their regular chocolate Oreo. Uh, Did you see that clothes by itself. Instant replay. <laughs> I lift every day. <laughs> uh, Let's okay. take a little bite. This yeah. looks like a good amount of cream. It does. Mmm. Mmm. Yeah. Ooh. Wow. Wow. Lord have mercy. Woo! This could be like a meme, dude. We're literally sitting here. <laughs> You're just making noises. <laughs> hey, man, that's good. 
This is awesome. This is so good. This is awesome. Wow. Okay. Help me out. Yep. Because I don't know. It's something about the cream cheese frosting. Feels like it's December, Christmas time. Oh, sure. What like what is it around Christmas time that has cream cheese frosting like this? Can you help me out at all? I think a red velvet cake is a traditionally like holiday cake. Okay. Like you have a red velvet cake around Christmas time. And okay. I think red like the velvet, like that's sure. like velvet is like considered to be like wintry, like that 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 sure. type of stuff. Um, I feel like I feel like there's a specific Christmas treat that I have in my mind that I can't think of that has like this similar cream cheese frosting frosting. Um, but help us know. out in the comments. I mean, I don't, I don't yeah, really know. Be, um, I'm I, stumped, but my goodness, that was great. That was wow. Oh my the, 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 gosh. There's like, like, all right. So like, I'm really happy about this because we had two really big yeah, stinkers yeah, yeah. In the, in the, the last two weeks in a, yeah. in a row. Um, we're not getting any of that fake maple taste. Nope. Um, it, this is, this is velvety. This is velvety. It's smooth. It's nice. Velvety, man. Just like Cream whatever cheesy. that means. Um, but um, yeah, I'm loving it, man. McDonald's, oh, man, it's really McDonald's, good. I'm loving it, but yeah. just like better than McDonald's. Hundred percent. Yeah, I, I mean, wow. There's not a lot to dislike, and I, I, if anything, I mean, to be honest with you, I don't really dislike anything about it. I mean, it just really comes down to at the end of the day, like, um, how much did you enjoy Red Velvet, dude? I will say the cracker or cracker is it no cookie. cookie. The cookie did actually taste a little different than just the really? chocolate. To me, a little. I bit. didn't think so. I wonder if it's psychological. I've no. Oh, idea. it must be, dude. This is like almost like this is the first thinker for me where it's like, is this better than a regular yeah, Oreo? Yeah, I, I, I would concur with that. I mean, what did we set a regular Oreo at? Did we say ten and we'd bring it down as we? As, yeah, I think so. You know. Something like that. Yeah, man. This um, is a thinker. This is a thinker. It really is a thinker. Um. Here's my thing. All right, yeah. let's get really nitty gritty here. All right. I don't like that it has red food dye in it. I think it's unnecessary. Mm. I don't I don't like food dyes in general. Do I eat food dyes? Absolutely, because they're almost unavoidable. Um, but uh, I, I don't prefer them. I would just prefer that there wasn't food dye in my food. I, I don't know if you guys can, if who can get down with me on that. I mean, I don't know. Sure. It's like, like unnecessary. Yeah, but then it'd just be a velvet Oreo. Yeah, why has it got to be? I mean, chocolate velvet. No. Chocolate cream cheese. Listen, if you know me, my favorite color is maroon, and so I like it. All right, Ben. I like looking at it. Enjoy your food, though. <laughs> but, um, no, I think, man, I, like, it really gives a regular Oreo a run for its money. Oh, it yeah. It might have to do, like, a side-by-side, -side, but I still think that a regular Oreo probably edges it out a tiny bit for me. All right, here's my thing. I just kind of feel like we all sleep on golden Oreos, all right? Golden Oreos are fire. Are you saying you'd rather have a golden Oreo than a regular Oreo? It is close. Wow. Yeah. It is hey. close. Um, but I'm going to say this. Man, that was good. I'm going to think about it. Man, I'm going to think about it. Here's where I'm at. Where are um, you at, man? Very close, but I think I'd still rather have a regular Oreo. Um, I could, I could town many of them. Like, I could put many of them down okay. if I wanted to. I'm going to cut you off here, and I'm going to ask you this. Okay. Does it have to, like, what if we're, are you putting this next to a regular Oreo or a double stuff Oreo? Regular. Okay, because here's my thing. A double stuff Oreo is better than this. A regular Oreo is not better than this because I prefer the cream. I prefer uh, the little bit yeah, more cream, cream. Wow. Uh, and I think that that does make a difference for me. This is a factor for me. Um. If we're doing this to me is better than a double stuff or better than a regular just like Oreo, but it's not better than a double stuff Oreo because ultimately I would still probably rather the original taste. Right. I agree with that. I agree with that. So it's just like a cream, a cream issue. It's a cream issue. Right. It's a cream issue, um, you know. But man, that was really good. I want to give it a nine. <coughs> like, that was great. I have, I have. No complaints, really. Like, I, I mean, I really liked it and have no complaints. So, so w with that being said, it, it's a ten until it's otherwise proven wrong. 
Well, but I thought a double stuff Oreo would be your 10. Okay, fair enough. So it's a 9.8 then. It's like not that far behind. It's like, there. let's go 9.5. 9.5. I'm locking it at 9.5. Yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna put it at a 9.5 just so that that's, that's you know, the rating. And it doesn't have to be a 9.025 or whatever. See, I, I just feel like there's a lot of pessimism. Uh, no, I think, what that, do you, I think it's great. I'm just kidding. I just had to challenge him. It was I had great. To challenge him. Yeah, it, it was great. Um, Red Velvet. Yeah, go to the store, check him out. It's um, a limited edition, so get him while you can, I yeah, guess. Yeah, limited edition. Okay. But it's, it, it'll be back like like a couple days later. Okay. Limited edition. It says it's limited. It will be back. It'll be back. <laughs> All right. I do have one Oreo that I think is better than a double stuffed Oreo. Just came to my mind. All right. But we won't talk about it right now. Okay. Well, I, I hope you guys enjoyed that rate, that Oreo segment. Come on now. That was fun. I'm pretty sure that was a little longer than usual. But, man, I was having a good time today. I was feeling it, and I think Ben was too. We were just kind of feeling it today. Um, I'm excited for today's teaching because I actually had this requested to me by some of our students. Um, I had it requested uh, by, I'll shout him out, uh, one of our new students, Olivia, and then also uh, Anna Clara. So you guys asked for this. So I'm going to give it to you guys today. Um, but I think it's something that every Christian actually needs to understand because it is a fundamental doctrine of the Christian faith. There are some doctrines in Christianity that are, are like non-negotiables. And there's some that, you know, we could talk about and people can have difference of opinion on. But if somebody is really a Bible-believing Christian, if somebody is a fundamental Christian, somebody that really... Uh, you know, uh, is dedicated to the faith. This is a doctrine that needs to be understood. And it is the doctrine of the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, Ben, do you think you can grab your Bible? Thanks. Ben's going to grab, uh, grab his Bible real quick as I begin to uh, give this introduction. I realized I left mine in my office. That's always not a good move uh, for doing the podcast, but he's bringing it up right now. So Let's grab it. Thank you. Thank you. I have a Bible now. Praise God. But I want to I want to answer the question, what is the Trinity? Because I feel like a lot of people kind of get the idea, but like they have a lot of questions about it because um, these students were asking some excellent questions in regard to it. But let's define the Trinity. First and foremost, the Trinity is a fundamental an essential doctrine of Christianity. Here's what I mean by that. When we in basketball or in sports say a fundamental, a fundamental is something that is absolutely um, necessary in in order to uh, play the sport, basically. You know, I, I guess theoretically you could play basketball and not be able to dribble a basketball. But, you'll be really, really bad at basketball to, uh, if, if you do that. In the same way, the doctrine of the Trinity is fundamental. It is necessary uh, in, being a Christ, in being a Christian. It is essential. It is needed uh, in Christianity uh, because the Bible teaches it very clearly. Now, you might find this funny, but I just said it was a fundamental and essential doctrine of Christianity. But the word Trinity is actually never used in the Bible. Never used in the Bible. Um, The word Trinity is a word that is used to help us understand the concept that is described in the Bible. So just because the word is not used in the Bible does not mean that the concept is not true. However, the word Trinity is a man-made word. It is not inspired of God, but the concept is, in fact, inspired by God and it is, and is in fact, God. So the Trinity is an essential doctrine in Scripture, but again, it is not, the word itself is not used, but the doctrine is described. So what is the doctrine of the Trinity that is described in the Bible? What is uh, this thing that we see in the Bible? The Trinity is the doctrinal understanding that God is three distinct persons, yet one God. God is three distinct persons, yet one God. So I guess mathematically, if we looked at this, it would be one plus one plus one equals one. 
It would not mean one plus one plus one equals three gods. It's still one God. But yet they are three distinct persons. Now, I'll be transparent with you and say this. This doctrine does not make complete sense in our mind. This doctrine does not make complete sense in our mind. It is far beyond our human knowledge. But we get, we still can understand it even though it doesn't make total sense. We can still understand it, but it just might not grasp fully in our human minds. So we're going to get into it right now. Let's start here. Somebody asked me this, one of my students, you know, do, do they have three bodies? You know, is it like the Holy Spirit has a body, God has a body, and Jesus has a body? They do not have three bodies. They do not have three bodies. In fact, this will shock some of you. The only member of the Trinity that we know has a physical body is Jesus Christ. The only member of the Trinity that we know has a physical body is Jesus Christ. Let me just stop right here real quick. Members. Let me uh, say who are the members of the Trinity before I get into this. The members of the Trinity are, there's three. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons all one God, not three separate gods, not three separate parts, three distinct persons, yet one God, three distinct persons, yet one God. And so, uh, the doctrine of the Trinity has those members in it. Uh, but the only person that we know for a fact has a physical body is Jesus. Philippians chapter two, verse eight will give us the, will, will give us the answer to this question or not the answer to this question, but rather the proof that Jesus really does uh, have a physical body. And I say does because he, present tense, still has a physical body. Still has a physical body. And we'll get into that in a second. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. It says, I'm sorry, I'm going to begin in verse 6. This is speaking of Christ. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. So let's stop here. He did not think of equality with God. Equality, equal to God, because he was and is God. We'll get into that in a second. As something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. So it literally says that he appeared in human form. Jesus took on the, a physical body. And so we know clearly that when Jesus came to earth, he took on a physical body. So we know that Jesus had a physical body, but where is the proof that he still has a physical body? Go to John chapter 24. John chapter 24. John is the fourth gospel. It is the only gospel that is not synoptic, meaning seen together. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 24. It says this. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. Now context, this is after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said, Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. So what happened here? Jesus appears in what? A physical body. And Thomas feels his physical body after the resurrection. And so we see Jesus before the resurrection in a physical body. And we see him after the resurrection in a physical body. And he will be so forevermore. Forevermore. In fact, the Bible says, 
In Acts chapter 1, that the same way we saw him go, he will also return. And certainly that's talking about the fact that he went up into the clouds and he's going to return in the clouds. But also, we can understand that Jesus will return in a physical body. So Jesus is the only member of the Trinity that we know has a physical body. Whenever the Bible says something like, you know, uh, the hand of God or, you know, the right arm of God or, or something like that, it is not physically talking about a hand the way that we would understand. This is something called anthropomorphic language. Anthropomorphic language. It means ascribing or giving a, uh, a uh, human characteristic, a human physical characteristic to God. That's key. A human physical characteristic to God is anthropomorphic. Uh, but that's what that means. So that's all that it's doing in that situation. It is ascribing a human physical trait to God. But we do not we do not have in Scripture God actually having a physical body unless He reveals Himself in something called I'm going to use another theological word a theophany a theophany when God takes on the appearance of something and appears to man. Uh, example of this would be, um, you know, a theophany would be Moses in the burning bush. God appears or takes on the form of that bush and reveals himself. A theophany uh, it can be any example in the Bible where basically God appears to a person. The reality is, is actually nobody has ever seen God. Nobody has ever seen God except for the Son, Jesus. No one has seen the Father except for Jesus. Uh, that's what Jesus actually says. And so we, we actually uh, would be mistaken to think that God it has, a, has a human body, has a human body. Rather, the only member of the Trinity that we know has a human body is Christ, the Son. Many people will interpret Genesis 1, 26 through 27, uh, and, and I'm actually, I'll just quote it to you real quick. God says, let us make man in our image. Now, this is a key text for Trinit uh, Trinitarian doctrine here because God is saying our image, referring to uh, the, the fact that there are three distinct uh, persons in the Trinity, yet there is one God. And so, uh, in Genesis, it says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Now, <coughs> many people will interpret this to mean that we are created in the physical image of God. It is my understanding, based on the Hebrew and based on uh, my study of this, that this does not mean physical. We are not created physically like we all look like God. Many people will say, you know, they'll preach, you know, if you're in this place right now and you think that you're ugly, just know that you're created in the image of God. That's not a strong proof to be able to tell somebody that. Rather, you can say, you know, if, if you feel like you're ugly or, you know, you're not attractive or whatever, that God created you. That's true. God created us, that he crafted us, and God made us as a masterpiece. That's what the Bible says. So there's still an encouragement in that. But to say that we look like God physically, would be, I believe, to be a stretch in what the scripture is really saying. The Hebrew word that is used when it says create in our image, that word for image, is a Hebrew word, selim, selim. And that Hebrew word can indicate figuratively, figuratively. And it more is referring to it like a simile, where we uh, possess characteristics of God, that, you know, the fact that we are compassionate, kind, uh, loving, those things are in the image of God, in the likeness of God, but it doesn't literally mean that the same way that, you know, my lip, you know, kind of looks like this, God's lip kind of looks like that as well. It, it, it's not like that. It's not physical appearance. It's talking uh, more in uh, a language of, um, uh, of similes per, per, per se. It's talking, it's not, it's like saying, you know, if, if I were to say that, you know, Ben is, Ben is as tough as, uh, you know, a lion. Ben is as tough as a lion. If I said that, I don't mean that Ben looks like a lion. Rather, I mean that Ben possesses that characteristic and attribute of a lion that he is that tough. So, and, and, and the reality is, is that no, Ben actually isn't as tough as a lion anyway, but, um, but so, sorry, sorry, Ben, uh, he's tough, but I, I think, I think the lion's got him, but Ben shrugged his shoulders. He wasn't sure. 
But no, nonetheless, that, that would be interesting, an impact on a Wednesday night at a youth group. We get a line in here, we get Ben here. Nah, I'm pretty sure that somebody went to jail for doing something similar like that. Any, anyway, um, <coughs> I, I actually haven't heard about somebody fighting a line. Anyway, I, I, I got to move on. I'll get caught up talking about this. But the word, the word selim more indicates the fact that we uh, possess many of the attributes and characteristics characteristics of God. Now, some people may disagree with me on that, and they say, no, you know, I think it means that we physically look like God. I just don't believe there's strong enough proof in the Bible that that's the case, uh, and, and uh, that's the understanding that, that we're supposed to arrive at. Um, but anyway... So that, that's just a quick note of the actual appearance of the Trinity uh, to, uh, to the eye. Scriptural evidence of the Trinity. Okay, this is important now. Where does the Bible actually teach that there are three distinct persons, yet one God? Ready? Strongest text. Two, we're going to start with two very strong texts. Matthew chapter 24, or I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. We're going to start there. It says, this is Jesus giving his great commission. Uh, these are some of his last words to his disciples. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. All three members of the Trinity are noted. All three members of the Trinity are noted. So we can see here that we have three members of the Trinity all said in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's go to Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Another strong text. This is the only text in the entirety of Scripture in which all three members of the Trinity are present at one time, at least that I can think of right now. <coughs> Excuse me. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Then Jesus went from Galilee to, to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, remember, Jesus is a member of the Trinity. He is the Son. The heavens were opened. And he saw the spirit of God, the spirit of God, there's the spirit, descending like a dove and setting on him. Okay, so Jesus and the spirit are here, two members. And a loud voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Okay, so we see the father speaking, the Holy Spirit descending, and the son actually physically there in a human body. All three members of the Trinity are present at, are present at one time. So again, it doesn't say the word Trinity, but it is a word that we can use to describe this concept that we are seeing in the scripture in which God is three distinct persons, yet he is one God. Yet he is one God. Um, the last uh, text that I'll read for scriptural evidence is 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. There's another one in 1 John 5, 7, but it's, but it's debated upon. So we'll just go to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Verse 14, it says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's one member, the love of God, there's another, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, there's the other one, be with you all. So we see texts where all three of them are mentioned and are, and are together. So we see this three distinct persons, yet one God. Let's talk about some facts about the Trinity. I have four of them for you. First, there is one God. There is one God. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. This is what the Israelites used to call the Shema. It, it was the crux. This was one of the utmost sacred scriptures that they, that they had. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. One God. The Lord is one. To say that God is three parts or three gods would be incorrect and, in, uh, and inconsistent and heretical according to the scripture. There is one God. There is one God. 
There's not three gods. There is one God. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4. Further proof of this, that there is one God. There is not three gods. There is one God. First Corinthians chapter six, verse four. Chapter eight, verse four. So what about eating meat that has been offered to idols? Well, we all know that an idol is not really a God and there is only one God. The New Testament affirms again, there is one God. There is not three gods. Jesus is not, Jesus is not a separate God. God is, the Father is not a separate God and the Holy Spirit is not a separate God. They are all one God. They are all co-equally God. They are all God. Every They are all God. They are one God. They, the God is three distinct persons, yet one God. Yet one God. Again, I told you, this is not something that can fully make sense to us as human beings, but we can understand the concept enough to be able to believe it. Next, so there is one God. One God, not three gods. There is one God. Two, the Trinity consists of three persons, but they are one. Three persons, but they are one. I already read the, the, t- the two texts to you, Genesis 1, 26 through 27. Let us make man in our image and likeness. So there we go again. We see it, the mentioning of more than one person, more than one person. Let us make man in our image. This is Trinitarian proof. This is proof that there are three distinct persons. Matthew 28, 19, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There we go again. <coughs> They're three distinct persons. Three distinct persons. How do I know they're three distinct persons based on that text? Because each one is mentioned specifically. It's not, each one is mentioned specifically. Three distinct persons. Next. The members of the Trinity are distinguished persons. Ready? Go to John chapter 14, verse 16. And it's important to note with that last point that they are three distinct persons, but yet they are God. They are one. They are, they are one unit. They are mentioned all together as one. Let us make man in our image. Three distinct persons, yet one. John chapter 14, verse 16. And I, just as Jesus speaking, I'll start in verse 15. If you love me, obey my commandments. That's a, that's a scripture that everybody needs to know in the Bible. John 14, 15. If people say they love God but are unwilling to obey his commandments, they're lying. 16. And I will ask the Father. There we go. Jesus speaking. I will ask the Father. And he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit. We see right here a distinguished person. We see Jesus speaking as a distinguished person. The Father asking the Father. Jesus is asking the Father to send this Holy Spirit. We see three distinguished persons. It's three distinguished persons. They are not, they, they are not, uh, they are distinguished persons, but yet they are still one God. Still one God. How do I know that Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit are God? Number four, each member of the Trinity is referred to as God. Each member of the Trinity is referred to as God. Go to Romans chapter one, verse seven. Romans chapter one, verse seven. Romans chapter one, verse seven. Ready? May God our Father, may God our Father, may God our Father, may God our Father. Very clearly, it says here in verse 7, may God our Father. The Father is God. It's very clear in this, in, in this verse, God our Father. So the Father is clearly God. And really and truly, this is the one that people question the least. If you, that, 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 believe the, that believe the Bible, you know. Yes, God, uh, the Father is God. So we see right here, may God our Father. Now, go to John 1.1. 1, 1. We're going to prove that Jesus is also God. Not a separate God, 
but one God. Ready? John chapter 1, verse 1. And like I said, I want to make this clear. If you feel like you can't fully wrap your mind around it, that's because we'll never be able to fully wrap our mind around this because our human minds are finite. They don't work like they don't work like uh, God's does. But we can know enough and understand enough that we can believe it. That we can believe it. John one one. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay. So clearly this word is God. It says it right here in the scripture. The word was with God and the word was God. Again, we see this distinct persons, but we see one God. The word was with God. So the word was with God, but yet the word also was God. So again, we see the individual persons, but we see the fact that they are still one God. One God. Now, who is this word? Who is this word? Well, the Bible says that the word became flesh. The word became flesh. And then it goes on to talk about the, uh, talk about Jesus. So we know that the word is Jesus. Jesus is the word. And it's interesting here. It talks about how the word became flesh. Prior to, prior to that, to the, the fact that Jesus took on uh, the form of a physical bo- body, we see clearly here in the scripture, Jesus took on the form of a physical body in that moment when he became flesh. This is interesting because I said earlier that Jesus is the only member of the Trinity that we could be certain has a human body, and this would be another evidence of that. So now we shouldn't have a question if Jesus is God or not, because the scripture clearly says that he was God. He was with God and was God. Ready? Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. We're going to see the Holy Spirit as God. Or not as, but is. As would suggest that there, there are different modes or there's different, you know, times that this person is God. The Holy Spirit is always God, is God. Ready? Uh, basically, I'll give you a quick um, context. Basically, some people lied. Acts chapter 5, verse 3. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not, as you wished. After selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do such a, such a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. Okay, where's the proof? You lied to the Holy Spirit. You weren't lying to us, but to God. Clearly, the, uh, Peter makes the, makes the point of saying, you lied to the Holy Spirit. You lied to God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is God is God. This is scriptural evidence that the Holy Spirit is in fact God. So every one of them again is God. They are co-equal, co-existent, and co-eternal. Get that. Co-equal, co-existent, and co-eternal. Co-equal. They are equal to one another. They are co-existent. They are co-eternal. They are all God. One God. Not many gods, but three distinct persons. Three distinct persons. Ready? Let me give you some analogies that might help you understand. Ready? I'm going to give you a couple of weaker analogies, and then I'm going to finish with a strong one. Ready? The United States government. The United States government. When you refer to the United States government, many people often mistakenly think of the president and the president alone. The president has the most power is what people often think. If you actually study U.S. government, that is not true. The president may have, and this is why it's an imperfect analogy, of course, uh, but the president might have more influence, might have more attention on them, but they don't have any more power than the other members of the United States government. The United States government is made of three, three different, uh, different branches. The three branches are the executive branch, the the legislative branch, and the judicial branch. Each one is equally the government. Each one has an equal amount of power. People actually don't realize that, that there's a law of checks and balances, that they, that, uh, the, the president, the executive branch, has the same amount of power as the legislative branch and as the judicial uh, branch. It's all equal. But you wouldn't say that one of them is not the government. 
you understand that they are three distinct uh, branches, but one government. In the same way, God is three distinct persons, yet he is one God. Now, obviously, every analogy falls a little bit short sometimes, but because obviously, like, you know, there's different functions within the United States government and different things and such, but I want you to just understand the concept that it is all the government, it is all the government, and there's three distinct branches to it, just like the Trinity. Better analogy. <coughs> Actually, I, I won't go to that analogy yet. Another analogy, ready? We are a spirit, we have a soul, and we are in a body. We, like me, Joey Santora has a spirit, has a soul, and has a body. My spirit, that's what's going to live forever with God. That's what's been redeemed. That's what's going to have eternal life. My, uh, my, my uh, soul is my, my feelings, my emotions, that type of stuff, my mind, all that stuff. My body is like my hands, um, my mouth, my face, you know, if I, if I was going to pick something up, I wouldn't pick it up with my spirit. Like, I'm not picking this phone up with my spirit. I pick that up with my body. So we are three distinct parts, but yet we are one. You wouldn't say that, well, the soul's not really a part, not really a part of who you are. That's not really a part of who you, who you are. No, that, that is part of me. You wouldn't say my body's not a part of me or my spirit's a part of me. We, I have three distinct parts to myself. I, I have three distinct parts, yet I am one. In the same way, now, parts would not be the right way to describe God. It would be persons would be the word. But God is three distinct persons, yet he is one. Ready? Best analogy. Best analogy. Water, steam, and ice. Water, steam, and ice. Water is the liquid, is liquid, steam is gas, and ice is solid. They are all water. They are all a form, they are all a form of water. There's the liquid, there's the gas, there's the solid. But guess what? If you broke each one down to their atom components, H2O is what you would get back. In the same way, each, each member of the Trinity is its own distinct person, but if you were to break it to its parts, God. It's all God. Water, if you break water to its foundation and parts, it is H2O, that's what you are left with. In the same way, each part of the Trinity is God, is God. Isn't any less God, isn't any more God? They are all equally God. It is like water, steam, and ice. Water, steam, and ice, all uh, really and truly better way to put it would be liquid, gas, and solid of water. They're all water. However you want to put it. One time, one, one time, this is a funny story. It's kind of unrelated, but I heard about some people that went to uh, Mexico. And when you go to Mexico and you're an American, your stomach is not used to their water. And so some people had the um, bright idea. Uh, basically, when you go to Mexico, you need to drink bottled water. You can't have water off the tap because our stomachs aren't used to it. So some people thought they'd be extra safe and they just wouldn't drink any water at all and they drink soda. But here's the problem with that. Soda has ice cubes in it. So there they were drinking their soda with all the ice cubes from it, from the tap water, and they all got violently sick. Why? Because it's still water. It doesn't make it any less water if it's in a, if it's in a soda drink and it's an ice cube. It doesn't make it any less water. In the same way, each member of the Trinity is not any less God as the same way that any form of water is any less water. That's the Trinity and that's how it works. Now I'm going to end here. Improper and heretical teachings on the Trinity. Ready? These are heretical teachings. What is a heresy or what is, what, when I say heretical, what is that? That means heresy. Heresy is a belief that is contrary to Orthodox Christianity. And this is mainly in regard to, uh, to Jesus Christ is really where, where it's mainly in regard to. But ready? Some teach that they are all distinct persons, but not one. Eh. Deuteronomy 6, 4 says, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They, we, we cannot have three distinct persons that are not one God. They are one God. 
We don't have many different gods, and this leads to the belief in many gods. What makes you stop at three at that point? If you say, well, Jesus is God, and or Jesus is one of my gods, and Holy Spirit's one of my gods, and the Father is one of my gods. No, they're all equally God. You serve one God. Next, oneness or Jesus only is the, is the way that some would refer to it. This is the belief that there is only one member of the Godhead or the Trinity, and that is Jesus Christ, hence the terminology Jesus only, right? However, Jesus may choose to reveal himself in different modes. Another way to refer to this is the heresy of modalism. Basically, it's Jesus is the only one that, you know, there isn't the Father, there isn't the Holy Spirit. It's just that Jesus reveals himself in different modes. So sometimes he's in Holy Spirit mode, sometimes he's Father mode, and sometimes he is Son mode. That is, uh, this doctrine tries to make sense of the situation by ignoring certain passages of Scripture where each member of the Trinity is clearly present at the same time. Matthew uh, 3, 13 through 17, the baptism of Jesus. Each member of the Trinity is present during the <coughs> baptism. How could Jesus reveal himself in different modes? What, what it, in that moment, how, how could, would that be possible for Jesus to be taking on one mode, but the other two modes are there? It contradicts scripture and it is incorrect. Next, and this is the worst one. Jesus was not the son of God, but the first creation of God. This is also referred to, many of you guys will go, oh, that's what they believe. Jehovah's Witness. Or Arianism would be what the ancient heresy is, but it's just basically repackaged in Jehovah's Witness and they'll knock on your door and tell you all about their, you know, religion or whatever and, you know, all, all that type of stuff. And, um, but the Jehovah's Witness, they believe that Jesus was not God or was not, uh, was not the son of God. He was not God, but rather he was the first creation of God. <coughs> in fact, the Jehovah's Witness go as far, and by the way, can I be clear on this? Hear me on this. Jehovah's Witness are not Christians. They need to get saved. Do not believe it if they come to your door and they're like, oh, we're, you're Christian? Oh, we're the same thing. No, we are not. We are not the same thing. You do not believe that Jesus Christ is God and is the Son of God. You don't believe that. And so therefore, we don't believe the same thing. Not even close. But they actually change the words in their Bible. And I say their Bible because it's not the scriptures, because it's, because it's tampered with. In John 1.1, 1, 1, I read to you, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. They, uh, they interpret it, and they go and play uh, games with the, with the word of God, which is very dangerous, and they say, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was a God. So they then teach that Jesus is a God, but he is not God. He is a lower God. He is a demigod of sorts, the first creation of God. And then what they'll do is they'll quote a scripture in uh, Proverbs when it says that wisdom calls out in the streets and it begins to talk about wisdom as a uh, wisdom as a person. And it says, I was the first creation of God. It says somehow that is talking about Jesus. Jesus is literally not anywhere even in that passage of scripture. It is a heresy, it is incorrect, and it is totally off base. That is an, that is an ancient heresy. Lastly, Jesus was just a good man. This one is clearly incorrect. He was not just a man. Jesus was God. He is the son of God. He is far more than just a man. In fact, if Jesus was a just a man, he was not a good man. He was a bad man because he claimed to be God. He claimed to be God, which by the way, for all the dumb videos of all those people that go on there, uh, you know, I, I was watching one the other day. Jesus never said he was God. A Muslim, you know, preaching. Uh, okay, apparently, like, you just didn't take the time to just, you know, I don't know, read through the scriptures for like, you know, five minutes or something like that. Because the Bible, many times, Jesus makes claims to be God. He makes claims to be God. Ready? Case in point. I and the Father are one. I wonder what that could mean. That he's God. That's what it means. There you go. No interpretation needed. I and the Father are one. How about this? In the beginning, uh, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Well, you see, you don't understand that that wasn't Jesus actually saying those words. Okay, again, you don't understand how the Bible works. How the Bible works is that Jesus is the Word. And so actually, when it says it in the Bible, Jesus is the word. And so since Jesus is the word, if it's written here in the scripture, then Jesus actually did say it. Oh, would you look at that? 
So when, when you see Instagram videos of people that want to, you know, challenge that type of stuff and, and say this type of stuff, they, they have no idea what they're talking about. They're, 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 they're honestly just trying to play gymnastics with the Bible and they've never actually taken the time to study it. Jesus very clearly said, I, am the fa- I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. They are one. They are one. So that's what the Trinity is. I, I did my best to be able to explain that. And I, I hope that that makes sense to you and, and, you know, you understand it. But I'd encourage you uh, to ask questions if you have more questions about it. Um, but, but that right there should pretty much cover uh, the, the basics of what the Trinity is. I hope this teaching blessed you um, and uh, ministered to you. But let me pray for you as you go. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for every student watching, leader watching. Father, every single Christian watching, every single person that maybe perhaps doesn't even know you. Father, I pray as they go, Lord, that you would give them knowledge and understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will see you back here next week. Thank you for listening to the Uncanceled Podcast. We hope you are blessed and encouraged by the teaching today. If you are between the grades of 5th through 12th grade, make sure to check us out in person at Faith Church in New Milford, Connecticut every Wednesday night from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Be sure to tune in next week for another weekly podcast from Uncanceled. God bless. God bless.